passion for God and compassion for our neighbor, reaching our region and beyond with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. This is Crosswinds Church. And now, here's Pastor Kurt Truxas. If you're uh, new, my name is Kurt. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's great to be with you and be able to share. Um, before we get into the sermon today, I have to ask you a favor. Could you guys help me out? Would you be able to do that? Sure? You could. Okay, you should never agree to that because I haven't told you what I'm asking you to help me out on. So I got you. Uh, here's the deal. Um, just so you know, um, last week we did a sermon on, in, on the issue of change in the church and why change in the church is important. And what we talked about is how Paul was, and Timothy were willing to do anything they could to remove cultural barriers between themselves and the culture around them so they could better communicate the gospel to the people who needed to hear. And as part of that message that we explained, that's sort of why we have the musical style that we do here at Crosswinds. We use a modern musical style, so we want to be able to best connect with the culture around us who needs to hear Jesus. And I got a lot of good feedback from that message, and I'm so thankful for you guys doing that. Um, many of you said, now I understand why we do worship the way we do worship at Crosswinds. But some people mentioned, they said, you know, sometimes it feels a little too loud. Sometimes it feels like the songs just are not mixed right. And I'm not too sure what to think about that. So let me in, let you in on a little backstory. Um, first of all, we do value the sound here very much. That's why we hired Tyler. Tyler comes from Fresno, California. It's his full-time job to make sure the sound is in this room is mixed very well as well as online. Um, about two months ago, we had a little disaster back there. Our soundboard went kaput. So we sent it off. We thought it would be gone for just a week or two. It ended up taking several months to get repaired. Tyler, out of the kindness and goodness of his heart, had a little soundboard he had at home. He brought in on his own so he wouldn't have to rent anything, and he tried to run things off that little soundboard, sort of running with his hand tied behind his back. And he did the best he could to make sure things sounded good. But, you know, when you don't have the right tools, you could only do so much. Well, eventually, several months later, we finally got our soundboard back. That was last week. And now it takes a few weeks to dial things in. And as you're dialing things in, it doesn't always sound right. So here's what I'm asking of you guys. Um, please be patient. Be patient with us. Know that we very much care about making sure the sound is good in this room. And also be patient with us online. Some people said, hey, the drums are too loud online, and I couldn't hear this person online. We'll get there. Just takes a few weeks to go through all those things and set things back up. So I want your patience. And secondly, I want you to do me a favor, and I want you to encourage Tyler. Uh, Tyler realizes our young, youngest guy on staff brand new on staff, single guy, moved all the way out from Fresno, California to a place where he doesn't know anybody, and um, just encourage him as he's working really hard trying to do a good job with sound. You guys can do that for me? All right. And I know Tyler at this point is completely embarrassed, so you guys can love on him a little bit more later. 
This morning, we're in the third week of our vision series. This is a four-week series where we're going through the elders' five-year vision for Crosswinds Church. There's seven points to the vision. The elders believe that by focusing on these seven points for the next five years, it'll help us better achieve our mission, which is reaching people with Jesus, and it'll help us better live out our core values. And you can read more about those online. The first week of this series, we went over the first point. And if you have your sermon outlines, you can take those out. If you need to use your church app, you can also find this on the church app. The first point is this. We are tirelessly focused on reaching people with Jesus. We want to be a church that's willing to leave the 99 for the one. The elders are calling us to be a church that really cares about lost people, not just cares about ourselves. That week we looked at Luke chapter 15, and we looked at one of Jesus' longest parables and most famous parables. It's his only triple parable. It's one parable with three stories, the story of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. And the point of each story is the same. God cares about, God loves lost people. And if we're going to have the same heart of God, we have to care about and love lost people too. In fact, in the story of the lost sheep, it said that there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents than 99 righteous who do not need to repent. So what the elders are calling us to become is a church that really cares about lost people, a church that really values lost people, a church that's willing to make sacrifices to reach lost people. Because, folks, that is the heart of God. Then last week, I told you that all the other points in the elders' vision essentially build off of this first point. And what we did is we looked at points two and six last week. Points two and six all deal with the topic of change. Why we have to be a church that's willing to embrace change to reach our culture, to reach the lost. We looked at 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 through 23, and it was really to me, it was a very penetrating message. Even as I studied and prepared for the message, I found myself being convicted by my own message. Uh, the Scripture does that to you. Paul was willing to do anything to reach lost people, give up any traditions, any preferences, any freedoms he had. To the Jews, he became just like a Jew. He adopted their customs and cultures, even though he didn't need to, he chose to, so there would be no barriers between him and a Jew when he shared the gospel. And then the mind-blowing part of it was Timothy. Remember him? Timothy is going to travel with Paul, going to go and join him on his missionary journeys. And the problem is Timothy had a Greek father. Timothy was uncircumcised. And the fact that he wasn't circumcised, for some Jews, that would be a barrier to even listening to anything he had to say about Jesus. Timothy as a young adult man, chose to be circumcised without Novocaine. Didn't have to be, but he chose to be because he wanted to remove any barriers between him and lost people and sharing the gospel message. 
And the thought hit us as we were talking. If Timothy was willing to be circumcised, endure that incredible amount of inconvenience, should we call it, agony. Yeah, yeah I laughed too, Dan. Yeah. An incredible amount of inconvenience to better share the gospel with lost people around him. We should be willing to make any changes we can, endure any inconveniences we have to, to be able to share the gospel with lost people around us. Because lost people matter to God. You know, even as a staff, we were talking about that. One of the things we talked about in our pastor's meeting this week is simply the issue of social media. As a church, we just don't do much social media. I mean, we don't think about social media. It's not my generation. It's a younger generation. But the honest truth is that many 20 and 30-year-olds who need to hear about Jesus Christ are on social media. And we started saying, you know, as a staff, we need to change the way we do things. We need to put time into social media to reach people with Jesus. It's a sacrifice that we are going to have to make around the office. You know, TikTok for me was the sound a clock made. But apparently, that's not the sound of a clock anymore. It's like social media. So that's one of the things that we have to learn. This morning, we're in week three of this series. And what we're going to look at is points three, four, and five of the elders' vision. These points all deal with the issue of neighboring. If we're going to reach people with Jesus, we have to learn to neighbor well. We have to learn to love our neighbors really, really well. I'm going to look at these, by the way, uh, in the order of point three, five, and four, not point three, four, and five. I'm switching around for a reason. You'll see. Let me tell you what these points are about. Point three is about loving our nearest neighbors, those who come in the church door, loving those who are new in church. Point four, or excuse me, point five is about loving our physical neighbors, the people who are right next to us where we live, where we work, and where we play. And then point four is about loving our neighbors in a little bit broader capacity, neighbors in our community, specifically those who are in need in our community. So if you think about it, the points fall in this order. Point three is about loving those who come in the church who are new. Point five is about loving those who are next to us where we live, work, and play. And point four is about loving in our community, especially where there's need. It just gets bigger every time. The elders are calling us to be better neighbors in all of these areas if we're going to reach people with Jesus. So let's dive right in. I'll start with point three. It says this. They're calling us. We want to have spots for people to plug into healthy, vibrant, sermon-based life groups. That's what we want to be, a church that's described that way. You're new, you come in, there's a life group that can immediately enfold you and have you as part of, you can be part of your life there. If you're back crosswind, you'll hear me talk about life groups all the time. And if I could tell you, if you're somebody new, the first place I want you to plug in after Sunday morning, quite honestly, is a life group. Super important, in my opinion. I mean, life groups, some of them meet every week. Some of them meet every other week. 
Some of them meet on Sunday nights. Some of them meet on days during the week. Some life groups have child care because it's a bunch of folks who have kids. Other life groups do not have child care because they don't have kids. It's a whole variety of things. And here's the challenge we've had at Crosswinds. A number of the people who are in life groups would say, we're in a closed life group. In other words, we don't want to add anybody new. Now, sometimes I can understand that. Sometimes life groups have grown too big, and so you just don't have room for anybody else. Sometimes people just don't want to add anybody new. And here's the problem. New people come into the church, and they say, well, you want me to get involved in a life group? And, I, and we go, well, there's only two that are taking anybody right now. How is that for loving our nearest neighbor? It's not really loving our nearest neighbor. In fact, it's sort of pushing off our nearest neighbor. The reality is, we want to be a church where there are many, many life groups who are eager, who are ready, who are willing to take in new people who walk into this church. And if that is not achieved, and life groups be, stay closed and they become cliques, we are a very unloving church. That is not what we want to be. This is super, super important. Now, for those of you who are new, what are life groups and what do they do? Life groups are groups of somewhere between 8 to, some of them up to 20 people, where they gather, and what we do is they, they go through the sermon. You'll notice in the back of your sermon outline, there's some life group questions to guide the discussion. They do Bible study together. They pray for one another. They pray with one another. And yeah, they enjoy being together. They usually eat food together. It is super important. This statistic comes off of the Spencer campus. I didn't run the numbers here, but I... Jordan mentioned them. Let me tell you how important life groups are to staying connected. If you come to Crosswinds and you're not involved in a life group, chances are you will not feel connected here. On the Spencer campus, when COVID hit, 50% of the people who were not in a life group walked away from Crosswinds Church and did not return. 50%. 90% of those who were involved in a life group stayed faithful at Crosswinds Church all the way through the pandemic and are there today. Do you think life groups make a difference? That shows you the connectivity of a life group and the importance of a life group. I'd like to show, share with you uh, Nick. Nick's going to tell you a little bit more about life groups. Cedar Point Amusement Park has some of the best roller coasters in the world. Unfortunately, some people choose to spend their day at the park trying to win a goldfish. Is trying to win a goldfish bad? No. At Cedar Point Amusement Park, there is something better available. Life is often a choice between good things and the best things. Where do we grow best? Life groups, specifically sermon-based life groups. Why is that? Life groups are more than a Bible study. Bible studies are good for gaining biblical knowledge and understanding. Life groups are where we build true community while gaining biblical knowledge. I can join a Bible study when it is convenient. I can do it without people getting to know me. I also don't need to get to know those around me. Sermon-based life groups study the Bible, but they also care for one another, pray for one another, hold one another accountable for faithful attendance, 
and deal with the natural frictions that arise when people really know one another. They develop a loving bond for one another that cannot easily be broken. But why a sermon-based life group? A sermon-based life group is the lab work of applying the sermon after hearing the sermon. It is where you wrestle with how the Sunday message that is founded in God's Word and taught by your pastor connects with specifics in your life. Sermon-based life groups are easy to invite friends to attend. The Bible passages, sermon notes, and suggested application questions are readily available. People outside the church can watch the message online. The Apostle Paul tells us all scripture is profitable for us. We can never go wrong when we study God's Word. We also believe God guides our pastors and helps them apply God's Word in a way we need to hear. We believe studying the Bible in a group after it was explained on Sunday mornings is one of the best ways to grow in our faith. Nick did a great job, didn't he? Let's go to point five. We are the best neighbors our neighbors ever had. We seek to have neighborhoods so connected that people turn down promotions in order to stay where their families are so loved and supported. By the way, this is something that Jesus talked about. Find this in Mark 12, 30 through 31, where they asked Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? He said, the first greatest commandment is this. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and all your strength. The second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Loving our neighbors is the second greatest commandment in Scripture. This is what the elders are calling us to be a church of. A church that really, really loves our neighbors. The neighbors that are literally right next to us where we live, that are across the cubicle from us where we work, and that are across the exercise machine from us where we play. Those are all our neighbors. And as a church, we want to be a church that becomes very intentional about knowing the people next to us, loving the people next to us, and caring for the people next to us. We want to be a church of people that is contentionally involved in community activities so we can meet our neighbors, love our neighbors, and know our neighbors. If we are a church where the people in this room have just church friends, and those are their only friends, then we sort of failed. Because we haven't known our neighbors. We haven't loved our neighbors, and we can't share the gospel with the neighbors we do not know. So it is very important for us, this is the elders' vision, to not just know and love one another, but to know those that God has providentially put next to us where we live, work, and play, so we can tell them about Jesus Christ. Here's Chelsea to tell us a little bit more about loving our neighbors. What if Jesus was serious when he said, love your neighbor, your actual neighbor? We want to be known for being the best neighbors anyone's ever had. What does this look like? We get to know our neighbors. As they allow, we learn about them, about their families, their dreams, and their aspirations. We serve them and allow them to serve us. We love unconditionally. We love even if they don't love us back. 
we love even if they don't want to hear us talk about Jesus. We trust God to open doors and when those doors remain closed. We may need to overlook things that annoy us because they ultimately do not matter in light of eternity. Let's encourage one another to neighbor well and to share the stories of what God is doing. We neighbor well so that our neighbors will someday ask us about the hope we have in Jesus that changed our life. That's great for Chelsea. Chelsea, by the way, she's one part of our Spencer campus, if you don't know her or haven't seen her. She's our Spencer campus. Very cool. Is it neat to have two campuses? Yeah. Get to see all kinds of people you don't know. Point four. We are known as a church that loves on the communities it serves in tangible ways. People know us for the things we do outside the four walls of the church building. So you can see how this is like concentric circles and rings. Point three is we want to love those who God has brought into this building. Uh -huh. Point five is we want to love those God has put next to us. And here in point four, we want to love those who God has put into our community, especially those who are going through difficult times and are in need. Now, many busy churches have everything they do take place inside the church building. All the ministries are about inside the church building with church people. And that's not necessarily bad, but here's the problem. We have a limited amount of time. We have a limited amount of energy. We need to make decisions as a church to maybe cut back on the things we do inside this building in order to make time to do things outside this building to meet the needs in our community around us. The only way, no, it is only, the only way, <laughs> excuse me, if the only way that people know crosswinds in action is by walking through these doors, something's wrong with that. People should be able to meet crosswinds in action outside of these doors, where we are helping those in need seeing a need, meeting a need, and loving on people. So we cannot have everything we do be inside these walls. We must get outside of them. This is what the vision is talking about. You want some biblical support for that. I think we cover this briefly. But you know Luke chapter 10, they have the parable of the Good Samaritan. Jesus talked about a man who was on his way down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and there he fell among robbers. Guy got mugged. He was on the side of the road, desperately in need, beat up, not doing well at all. And then what happens is two people came down the road and walked right by him. They were the priest and the Levite, the religious people of the day, probably off to their religious duty. And while they're so busy focused on their religious work, they walked right past the real work, which was helping a man in their community who was desperately in need. They missed it. And what Jesus said is that a Samaritan came, by the way. Samaritan, they're like the enemies of the Jews. This Samaritan saw this man. He went and he helped him. He bandaged up his wounds. He brought him to essentially an ancient hotel, paid for his stay until he recovered. 
Folks, sometimes the truth is people who are far from God do a better job of loving and meeting the needs in our community than we do. It must not be that way. We cannot be like the priest and the Levite, people who are so busy with their religious business inside the church, they miss the real business of loving and serving those in need outside the church. This is what the elders are calling us to do and the changes we're going to have to make. Quite honestly, folks, this is where it's going to come down to. I'm just going to tell you this. It's going to be some hard conversations with different ministries. Ministries that do everything just inside these walls. Good stuff, not bad stuff. Good, I mean, that's, that's good things. But we have to have not just inside these walls. We have to figure out a way to meet the community needs outside these walls so we can rub shoulders with people who need Jesus and meet those needs. Here's Teresa to tell us a little more. How do we want to be known in our community? How do we get to be known? These are hard questions. At Crosswinds, we want to be known for loving our communities well. That means we are selective and focused in what we do. A sustained, consistent, and loving ministry to our community gives us something for which we can be known. As individuals, we can use our gifts outside the church in a variety of ways. We should be known for pitching in and helping our communities do good things wherever we can. Serving our community in sustained, consistent, and spontaneous ways are important. Both require that choices must be made. In five years, we want Crosswinds Church to be known for at least one sustained and consistent way we serve our communities where we have a campus. When people think of Crosswinds, we want them to think of the way we serve our area and appreciate what we are doing. We do good in our communities so that we can leverage our good reputation to help us reach people with Jesus through loving our neighbors well. What I'd like to do for the second half of this message is I'd like to put our finger in the text. Don't have much time to talk about some specific texts, but I want you to understand how important it is for us to love our neighbors to be able to share the gospel. How important it is that we are a people of good works outside of these walls so people can hear the good news of Jesus. This... Um, little section is going to be really based on two passages. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 15, and 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12. Let me read them to you. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. And then verse 12. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of his visitation. The entire, this part of the sermon can be put together in one nutshell, and I put it in your outline here. The single greatest tool for opening hearts to hear the gospel is how we live. The single greatest tool for opening hearts to hear the gospel is how we live. People do not care what we say about Jesus if it's not backed up with how we live for Jesus by the way we genuinely love our neighbors 
especially those that are outside of the church. Now, I'll tell you a little more about the context of what was going on here. Peter wants us to know that the people he was writing to were going through difficult times. It was a, a hostile culture to the faith. He says this in 1 Peter 4.12, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. It's tough times for the faith for these guys. Or in verse 19, Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Now, folks, thankfully in Iowa, we're not at a time as Christians where we're going through suffering for our faith. We're not going through trials for our faith. There are some parts in the United States right now where Christians are persecuted. There are parts around the world where Christians are persecuted. We should expect that. But here's the key thing Paul is, Peter is telling us. The way we handle persecutions, we don't whine against it, we don't complain about it, we just get busy doing good works. That is what changes people's opinion about Christians, that is what opens hard hearts to hear the gospel. I put this in the title. I want you to remember this phrase. Good works creates goodwill, which opens hearts to hear the good news. Good works creates goodwill, which opens hearts to hear the good news. And by the way, this is not original to Peter. It comes originally from Jesus. Matthew 5.16 Jesus said, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Folks, most evangelism is not evangelism. It is called pre-evangelism. It's good works. It's loving our neighbors. It's softening hearts so when the gospel is finally spoken, people will actually listen because they see that we are genuinely different. Now in 1 Peter, Peter's going to give a number of examples in that book about the way that good works is used to open hearts to share the good news, the way good works is used to quiet those who are cantankerous and irritable and rebellious against Christians. In fact, this week in your life group questions, you'll go through a number of those. But I'm not going to go through too many of them this morning. I'm only going to go through one of them this morning, a very practical one. How is a wife with an unbelieving husband to win him over to the faith? Peter answers that question. The wife is not to nag her husband. She's not to verbally abuse her husband. What is she to do? Be about good works. And the good works of her life, Peter says, will change your husband's heart and open him to hearing the good news. Look how Peter writes about this in 1 Peter chapter 3. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. So you see how this works? A wife who becomes a Christian 
wins her husband to the good news by her attitude, her respect, her purity, her love. And her husband finally says to her, what changed you? What made you so different? And when he says that, she says, well, let me tell you about Jesus. See how good works create goodwill, which opens the heart to hear the good news. And folks, this is not just true in, the relation, in marital relationships. This is true in all different kinds of relationships. We do good works. Now let me just expand upon uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12. He says this, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of his visitation. He says, keep your conduct honorable among the Gentiles. The word conduct literally here specifically means daily conduct. Make sure the way we live every day, he said, keep it honorable. That word honorable in the Greek is the Greek word kalos, and it means it has a broad semantic range. In other words, the way we live should be morally excellent. It should be attractive to other people. We should be gracious to other people. The way our behavior is should draw other people to us, not repel other people away from us. You know those people who have an engaging personality that you're just drawn to? This is what Peter says we are to be like as Christians. We know how easy it is to not have that kind of personality. For instance, the, it's easy sometimes to have a vulgar mouth or to have a gossiping mouth. But what does the Scripture say in Ephesians 4.29? Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Other people... They like to grumble. They like to complain. They like to whine. That does not draw people to you, does it? It repels people away from you. The Scripture says this in Philippians 2.14, Do all things as Christians without grumbling or disputing. Sometimes you're around people and all they want to talk about is themselves. You notice that? The conversation always goes back to them. You're not drawn to those people. You're usually repulsed from those people. As Christians, we want to be different. We want to be people who are genuinely interested in others' lives, not always using people as an opportunity to talk about our lives. And the Scriptures tell us this. Philippians 2, 4, Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And the point is this, honorable character will silence the critics. As Peter continues to say, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of his visitation. I want to give really two examples here. I'll see how my time goes to get both of them done. The first example I'd like to give you is how the good works of Christians in the first century totally changed the way people were antagonistic against Christians and actually made the gospel spread like wildfire. And then I want to give you another example from 
our century. Let's begin in the first. In the first century, Christians were not a loved group. They were accused of a number of things. First, they were accused of atheism because they would not worship Caesar as God. They would only worship Jesus as God. Christians were accused of cannibalism because it was said that they gathered and ate the body and drank the blood of a man named Jesus. Christians were accused of incest because they kept saying to one another, I love you, brother, and I love you, sister. Generally, I mean, that's literally true what they were accused of. How did this all change where Christians went from a despised faith to a growing faith? It had to do with the good works and the neighboring of early Christians. In Rome, for instance, it was a big city, but Rome did not have any social safety nets, no welfare system whatsoever. People, when they fell on hard times, there was nothing there for them. The streets were filled with people in desperate situations. The church, Christians, made a difference. In the year 251, we have a letter written from the Bishop of Rome who was writing to the Bishop of Antioch. He said the church at that time had 1,500 people it was serving with benevolence in the city of Rome, widows and in people in desperation. The church in Rome in the first century started a welfare system when the government didn't have one. Do you think that quieted the critics? Do you think that totally changed people's opinion of Christians? Do you think all kinds of people were coming to Christ because they saw the way that Christians live? Oh yeah, you bet it did. Another example. I'm going to jump over here for the interest of time. We're just coming out of COVID. COVID is obviously sort of those plagues. You may not know, but plagues were a common thing in the ancient world. In the year 165, while Marcus Aurelius was ruling, there was a plague in Rome. It killed one-third of the entire population. It means COVID is not that bad. hundred years later, around 265 A.D., another plague hit Rome. At that point, people were so fearful of these plagues that as soon as some one of their loved ones began to show the symptoms of the plagues, they were honestly cast out onto the streets to fend for themselves. But Christians were different. When people became sick, Christians cared for their loved ones. They didn't kick them out on the street. In fact, Christians were known for bringing in sick ones who had been kicked out from their family and nursing them back to health. The statistics were that two-thirds of those who came down with the plague, if you were cared for for some basic nursing care by Christians, recovered. Do you think that made a big difference? It resulted in an explosion of people coming to Christ because the good works of Christians created goodwill which opened people's hearts to hear the good news. There's a letter we have from Dionysus, Bishop of Alexandria, writing about this to his people. He says, Many in nursing and curing others transferred their death to themselves and died in their stead. The best of our brothers lost their lives in this manner. Christians literally 
risking their life, giving up their life to provide basic nursing care to sick people during a plague. And it grew the gospel. Well, I told you I'd give you an example from the first century, but I also wanted to end with an example from our century. Ruth and, or Herb and Ruth Klingen were missionaries in the Philippines during World War II. Go ahead and put their picture up if you could, Tyler. There they are. During World War II, they ended up in what is known as the Los Banos prison camp. It was a long, grueling, painful ordeal. The man in charge of that camp was a Japanese man named Konishi. He was incredibly brutal. The stories of the things he would do to the 2,000-plus prisoners in this camp are just barbaric. Like, for instance, even though there was more than enough food, he gave the people in the camp just the minimum of the food, especially these Christians and these missionaries, to keep them on the very edge of starvation. And if anyone snuck out of the camp to go into the jungle to get fruit off the trees, he would assassinate them when they came back. That's the kind of guy he was. As it became clear that the Americans were winning the war and the Japanese were going to lose, he became even more brutal. At that point, prisoners were dying of starvation at the rate of one a day in the camp. Even though he had the food, he wouldn't give it to them. But here's what was interesting. The Christians in the camp, the missionaries in the camp got together, and with those meager rations, they gave of their meager rations to give it to the women who were pregnant and the children so they would survive. Now, while they're praying desperately for rescue, that rescue came. The rescue came on February 23, 1945. It was General MacArthur from three points, from the air, from the ground, and from the land, came in to rescue them deep inside enemy territory. In fact, it was one of, known as one of the most famous and well-achieved rescues of World War II. Of the 2,173 people in the camp, not one single one of them died. All of them were rescued that day. Interestingly, they found out that when General MacArthur came in at exactly 7 a.m. that morning, it was later that day that the Japanese had planned to shell the camp during the retreat and kill everyone. God answered their prayers, literally sparing their lives within hours. Many of the Japanese uh, did not die or were not taken as prisoners of war. They escaped into the jungle, including Konishi, that vicious and terrible commander in charge of the camp. Later, he was found. He was tried and sentenced to be executed. But here's the interesting thing. Before he was executed, he said, what do I need to do to become a Christian? He said, why do you want to become a Christian? He said, after watching those Americans and watching those missionaries that I tortured in the camp, and how they gave up their food for those who were weak, those who were sick, and the pregnant women, and willfully chose to die of starvation. I want to become a Christian just like them. Folks, if good works like that can soften the heart of a hardened Japanese general, so before he died, he wanted to trust in Jesus, 
Imagine what God can do through you and me if we flooded this community with good works helping those in need. I guarantee you it would change the landscape of our community and there'd be hundreds of people who are saved. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to be a church that reaches our community by doing good works in our community. Help us to be a church that loves those who walk in the door with open life groups and open arms, that loves those that are right next to us where we live, work, and play, and also that loves those in our community, especially those who are weak and vulnerable and in need. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. This has been a presentation of Crosswinds Church. More of Pastor Kurt's sermons can be found online at crosswinds.tv. Thanks for being with us, and may God continue to enrich your life.